Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Here we go again. We're looking at football year by year, and we are at the year of 1928. We're going to talk about the college football season of that year, some of the great players, teams, and innovations that happened in 1928. And it's all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And we are in our Football History Rewind phase number 62, which is part 62 of going back through football year by year, talking about the college and the pro football game and the evolution of the players, the teams, and the game itself. And uh, we really have a really great season to talk about in this part 62 of the series 1928 in the college season well the 1928 season was a change of the guard situation as far as who was the master coach of the nation newt rockney's notre dame squad suffered four losses during the season and it seemed like his bag of tricks was being figured out by others was this the end of the road for the great notre dame teams what attention was now being given to a new innovative offense that pop warner was running out of stanford but before we get to that let's make sure that you know about our newsletter we have one that comes out each and every day it's so easy to sign up for go to the show notes of this very podcast and you'll find out every episode and every podcast and blog post that's coming out pigskin dispatch and jersey dispatch each and every day sign up at the show notes of this podcast now let's get in back into what pop warner was doing you know, like football today, the West Coast always plays a slightly different brand of football than the rest of the country. Pop Warner and his double wing formation during the 1928 season could be considered the original West Coast offense. And you see I have the quotes going on. Of course, you can't see me, but I have the air quotes going. Not because it has any similar strategy to the current West Coast system that we know in modern day football, nor do the two approaches even look alike but it's because it all started in California, both of them did. Now, Warner developed the system earlier than 1928, but it received some Eastern exposure in 1928 when the Army-Navy series was forced to break off a couple of seasons. The Army and Navy were each accusing each other of having some illegal eligibility concerns. And the game ended up being reinstated after two years uh, when it hit the desk of then-President Herbert Hoover with no corrective adjustments to the eligibility requirements uh, of the two academies and their football squads. Uh, you know, Herbert Hoover basically said, hey, get back to playing football. Don't worry about eligibility. Let's have some fun. Okay, that's all very interesting. 
But how does this affect Stanford and their offense? Well, this first season of the two that uh, Army and Navy took off their schedule uh, was filled by Stanford, who had traveled to the polo grounds in New York City to play the powerful, undefeated team of Army in the final game of the season for the cadets. Army was big and strong, but it was no match for the trickery of Warner's double wing, which was a full of fake handoff spins and double reverses, just a total deception in this offense. Warner first attacked the outside flanks of the Army defense with success. When Army adjusted to this style, the Cardinal offense pounded the middle as it opened up and went right through the middle of the line with some big runs. Army was off balance all day as Stanford's squad impressed many of the onlookers in New York that day. A month later at the coaches convention in New Orleans, the big crowds of eager young coaches were flocking to Warner rather than Rockney as they had in recent years. The coaches asked questions to Warner, and he was not shy in sharing his system. The result was that about a dozen top coaches in the East used either Warner's new double wing or his original single wing, or a variation of the two offenses uh, that next season, 1929. And we'll get to that in a couple episodes, uh, episode 64 of Football History Rewind, which will probably be about two weeks from now. Uh, we'll talk about that 1929 collegiate season. Now, Another Western power came to light. Stanford and its double wing were not the best team or system in California that season, as good as they were. The Southern Cal squad with their innovative coach, Howard Jones. Now, the Trojans did not allow Stanford to even score a point in their matchup in 1928. Jones had devised a six-man line that all but thwarted any success by Warner's double wing. He had outmuscled in the trickery with numbers on the line and then threw a seventh player at linebacker in the mix in the, the line to shut down any other sneaky ideas Warner may have had asleep. Another tactic that stymied the Cardinal offense was that Jones had his defensive lineman step back at the snap on certain plays rather than rush the line. This tactic allowed the lineman to watch for the fake handoffs develop and determine the real point of attack without the extra confusion of being caught up in the blocking schemes by their opponents. To add insults to injury, Jones employed the Warner-developed single-wing system on offense with great success against the man who had innovated it so many years before. And if you remember, you know, we talked about Warner and how his success against Army. Don't forget, Warner played Army in 1912 when he was the head coach of Carlisle and with the use of some great people like Joe Guyan and Guyan and uh, Jim Thorpe, they attacked and finessed the powerful Army team back then and beat them in 1912 too. So 1928 was, should have been no shocker for a Pop Warner offense against Army. Another team in a nation claimed the national championship of college football in 1928 besides USC. It was the Georgia Tech Golden Tornadoes. And according to the Tip Top 25 website, was that the retroactive champs were elected by Park H. Davis, the Helms, the National Championship Foundation, and CFB researchers with their spotless 10-0 record of Georgia Tech. Of course, Davis also states that Detroit was tied with for the title with Georgia Tech. Well, the knock on Georgia Tech's claim is that their schedule was not that tough. Other than the 1929 Rose Bowl game, where they knocked off Stanford with the help of the famous Wrong Way Regals run, the Dickinson system considered 
this strength of opposition in their scoring, which is why they chose the Trojans as the nation's top team, with Georgia Tech uh, a close second. In Detroit, they played mo- mostly mid-major teams, uh, had an undefeated record, and not sure why Davis chose them other than the undefeated record, but they really didn't play anything powerhouses of the day. Another memorable moment in the 1928 football season, uh, it says, you know, we, we talked about the lack of luster from the Newt Rockney team of Notre Dame in 1928. Notre Dame was outmatched on the field that season by so many times and other any more than any other year that Rockney had coached a team. Still, Rockney had a little bit of magic and he, enough to pull off the most well-known accomplishment, even though it was his team's worst record under his watch. This event occurred at halftime while the visiting Irish were locked in a scoreless tie with that same Army team at Yankee Stadium. Rockney had seen his team suffer two consecutive defeats in the weeks before this game. They could not face a third in a row. He had to do something big and dramatic to lead his team to victory. The group gathered around their coach in the locker room. Now, Rockney spoke in a soft voice at this halftime speech, and his players didn't make a sound to hear every single word that their coach had to say. Solemnly, Rockney spoke of his visit to George Giff, a recent star for the Irish. A couple years earlier, uh, you know, Gip had passed away. Newt added drama as he bent over the locker room's rubdown table, reenacting the Gip deathbed visit in a quiet voice. The team listened to the monologue, which Rockney skillfully crafted to seem like a dialogue. The team was hearing Gip tell Coach that he wanted his team to win. One in his memory at the same point when things were not going right for the Irish. And this was happening two or three years later after Gibbs' death. All at once, the coach slowly rose to his feet and turned from the table to face his players. Rockney looked at the tear-soaked faces of his players and paused a moment. In a solemn look, the old coach changed quickly at this point, and a confident look of determination entered his eyes as he told them, quote, boys, let's go get him. This is that game. And that's where the sign and the signal, let's win one for the Gipper, came out of. The Army came out in the second half and quickly broke the tie with a quick six points. The Irish responded, though, with two unanswered scores of their own to have a 12-6 lead with two minutes remaining in the game. The climactic last drive of Army put every fan on the edge of their seats. The cadets marched methodically down the field deep in the Irish territory, and the Gip fever must have gone through Notre Dame's defense near the end of this fourth quarter because they somehow gathered up some of that last-second energy to stop the cadets at the one-yard line as time expired. The story spread across the country and eventually ended up on the silver screen, and the rest is history, winning one for the Gipper. And remember, that was uh, in that movie, uh, Newt Rockney, All-American, the Gip was played by George Gipp was played by future American president Ronald Reagan now that's some sports history that's some football history for you and a little bit of movie history and uh, we really appreciate you coming here joining us for this football history rewind and next week we go on Wednesday we will go to football history rewind part number 63 where we will talk about the 1928 professional football season so till next time everybody have a great great iron day
peeking up at the clock. The time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.